This guy is the mastermind behind the world famous ugly doll characters. And if the name doesn't ring a bell, the characters definitely do. David Horvath, an American illustrator, comics artist, and toy designer, has captured the hearts of millions of people worldwide with his imaginative creations. In a time where NFT projects are racing to build the next big IP, like Hello Kitty or Pokemon, David has already done it, and then he expanded that IP into Web3, leading creations like Ugly Doll and Bossy Bears that all started 18 years ago. And now, two decades after, his creations are literally global phenomena. So tune in to get a deep dive in a mastermind session about IP, brand building, and character development from Web3 to Web2 and everything beyond. Calm down before you stress up the groove The energy a little different when the blessings accrue Ain't who you talking to, just know I ain't no regular fool Could be anything in the world, but I can never be you Because I had time like a moment All right, welcome back, Seed Virgins, to another episode. We have a very special guest today. David, what is going on? How are you? I don't want to take the shine here, so I'm going to let you introduce yourself. No, thank you. Thanks very much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, I'm David Horvath, and I am the co-creator of Ugly Dolls, uh, and a few other brands uh, like Bossy Bear over here up above me. Uh, Bossy Bear started as a children's book series that we did with Disney almost 20 years ago now, and now is a TV animated series on Nickelodeon and Nick Jr. Uh, so uh, that's keeping us pretty busy. The Ugly Doll brand started as a plush toy line 20 years ago and has been everything from books and licensed toys to uh you know, a, a movie in the theaters that did just okay, uh, but really flourished for us like crazy over the last couple of decades as a character brand, you know, in an effort to go up against Hello Kitty, or at least, at least to, uh, you know, be in the same universe. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly very excited to kind of dive into your experience, obviously, and, and being a master of, I guess, IP building, right? Uh, you know, our channel mostly focuses on NFTs, but we live in a world where all these NFT projects that are coming up think they are the next big Hello Kitty or the next Pokemon or at least strive to be, right? Um, so I guess my first question here is, do you think the NFT projects that we see right now are actually doing themselves a service by starting off as a Web3 project to build IP or a disservice? I think that, um, yeah, like like you said, a lot of the NFT projects, if you look at the OpenSea top 10 or in the bottom thousand, uh, you know, uh, uh, they're, they're, unless for like the fine art ones, they're mostly character based in general, like yeah. everything from the more recent Nakamigos all the way back to Cool Cats or, you know, whatever, whatever projects, right, that you can name. A lot of the favorites are or could thrive as, as character brands. They're very, and, and more specifically, most likely, um, lifestyle character brands like something like Hello Kitty. So it's understandable that, you know, the excitement from the fan base and from the holders would be, hey, maybe this can be the next something, next Disney, next Enrio. I have heard that quite a bit, um, which is great. And it kind of motivated us, you know, just being in Web3 for the last two years while working on our on our show and absolutely falling in love with the whole world and the whole aspect of it. But then also coming from the, licensed character intellectual property business and absolutely seeing how those two can meet in the middle. It's been very interesting to hear some of the founders go on about how that's what the goal is or some of the holders wishing that that's how things would go. Uh, 
very interesting. Uh, there's there are definitely things that I would that I have seen done that I would say, oh, so that's sort of what motivated me to do the Substack. Sort of like, well, you have all these new people who are technically in the character world going up against Hello Kitty, whether they think they are or not, they kind of are to, to various degrees. And I just felt compelled to put out information out there regarding how you could even get started, even as an individual, in, in actually taking on that journey. Because there really is nothing on paper, not really. Um, seems like there's a lot of New York Times articles about Hello Kitty, but they usually barely scratch the surface. So it's been it's been a fun ride. So you came obviously, or you still are obviously, in, in the licensing IP and like real productization, I guess, of characters, right? Uh, you have experience there and then you partnered up with OpenSea and you launched the NFT project, Secondary, right? Uh, in a sense. So walk me through, I guess, one, how was that experience and what made you guys want to go, I guess, from Web 2 to Web 3 when a lot of other companies are failing at making that transition and also think it's like a fact, like, hey, it's just not worth it right now. Why should we even bother? Oh, sure. Yeah. So it was, it came from um, actually a friend of mine uh, who's in the who's who's in the character business? Uh, I always said like you know we always get invited to these gallery shows for the last twenty years we've been in my my wife and I both you know we're both the creators of Ugly Doll especially we would get invited to these various shows um, and my wife does these beautiful paintings on canvases and I, I'm a digital artist so I, I do a lot of the books and and if you've ever seen any of our books I do all that stuff but it's all digital art so I, I had no way to hang anything on a wall next to everybody else at these shows. So I would print out my digital art and maybe put like a framed black and white sketch version of it to make it seem like you're getting something original. But, you know, so my friend called me up two years ago, a little more than two years ago and said, Hey, remember you always wanted to hang your digital originals and offer them for sale with like next to your wife. Well, now you can't. I was like, no, you can't. It's not April fool's yet. So what are you talking about? It's still March, right? March 21, he said, no, seriously, check out Nifty Gateway. Like, what's this? Like, mm -hmm. okay, well, what's this? This is people making a million dollars a day selling digital art. Okay, that's fake. <laughs> so, you know, then I went down the same rabbit hole we all did, fell in love with it. Um, while we were working on our own show, just between the moments where we weren't working on that and working on our new books, I was creating artwork and putting it up on OpenSea and later on Foundation and we just found an entirely, I thought that our existing fan base would be super into it. And to this day, there's only been like two people out of really the millions of people who love our work for the last 20 years. Two, two people have gotten into it. So we have an entirely new group of people who've been collecting our, you know, our Web3 based crypto art for the last couple of years. Uh, uh, incredibly so and, and tremendously grateful. So that, that also kind of compelled me to want to then put everything on paper. You know, also something for my kids to read, you know, getting up there. So, uh, you know, something that at least I can leave behind. Like, well, here's here's the formula that we've always used and it still works for us. So maybe if you're an individual and you dream of doing this and you're in Web3 and, and you want your collection or your digital art to graduate into this world where we really do go up against, you know, Hello Kitty to to various degrees. It's absolutely possible. And you don't need, you know, I, I've I've. This one artist I've talked to who's who's doing pretty well in Web3 thought, uh, but I don't have like VCs behind me. I don't have CAA. I don't have all this stuff that everyone has these announcements. I'm like, you know, you actually don't need that and you're better off without it. 
if you have an investor, even if your uncle's investing, it's a, it's bad because growing something to go up against Hello Kitty takes so many thousands of little moves that on their own would each seem so insignificant that you, I, I couldn't imagine having to report quarter by quarter to investors or venture capitalists saying, hi, I'm putting three of something in four windows in Korea as to have an impact in Hong Kong. So we should have something in like three years and while that's cooking, we're doing these 500 other tiny things. And we said no to big sneakers and we said no to a celebrity collab. And that doesn't seem like it would go over so well. And yet that's kind of exactly what it takes unless you want to do the quick burn where in four years it's over. You can do that ride and that ride most certainly exists. And it, it can be fun. It puts food on the table. So I don't knock it. But a lot of the big stuff, anything big should mostly be avoided, especially in the beginning. Any, anything that you might kind of like celebrate something over early on is mm. most likely not going to be such great news in general. Yeah, you framed that in a really good way. And, and one thing that, you know, just kind of pops up in my head here is like, hey, you already have this recognizable brand with millions of people and fans, right? But then you launched this Web3 product and you said two people only pretty much say, hey, you know what? Let me check this out. Right. So it kind of raises this flag in my head like, okay, how about if it's the roles are reversed? Like we see projects right now which are doing pretty much the complete opposite. An NFT project saying, hey, we're getting millions of views and impressions on Instagram and TikTok. Sure. But do you think there's going to be that same type of gap in terms of being able to convert people from Web3 to Web2? just like you've struggled from Web 2 to Web 3? It's, this is the first time that we've seen fans of ours not make the leap. Like we've had fans mm. show up at openings in Tokyo and then they, they are coming from you know the middle of the US somewhere. I, I, and I, as far as I could tell, like I've gone into like the super secret fan groups like on Facebook where they congregate, like the real hardcore, right? And it's the general fear of the whole like setting up a wallet it was more the technology and all the you know they were this we came in at a time two years ago when the mainstream press was putting out a lot of fearful messaging about how it eats up the energy you know we're gonna all like one nft is can power all of london for a year or some you know it we were going up against a lot of pretty powerful stories and then yeah. stories of it being a scam or stories of you losing your money if you press the wrong link. So I, I feel like it had more to do with that than um, it being a leap of product category. Because you could you could see Web3 as being another category like licensed goods or, or you know, like, like uh, soft lines or toys or comics or uh, apparel. Um, and a lot of the projects that are in the top 10 on OpenSea or, or in the bottom thousand, I could easily see transition with, without, you don't, you kind of don't even have to tell your holders you're doing it because it's so easy and it mm -hmm. takes so long that you kind of don't even have to, and it's actually better not to hype or announce anything while you're doing that. So it's kind of like you can, like if I was in the top 10 of OpenSea and I was especially some of these character driven brands, I would just go take on um, Mickey Mouse and, and Hello Kitty anyway. Still take care of your holders, still do all the minting and all that, but quietly grow you know, and do the groundwork that it takes. Because it takes five years to 10, maybe even sometimes 10 years, right? To really do it right, where you ensure that it could have the greatest potential to last forever. We have something we call evergreen ubiquity, which is 
you can you can easily market something, get a certain number of people that believe that eighty percent of your bot followers are real, and you know you can you can you can do that, and it puts food on the table, and it's totally fine. But those kind of like go they they come and go, right? But mm-hmm. there really is a way to make something where you know Disney's coming up on one hundred, Hello Kitty is coming up on fifty. These are not things that just happen accidentally. These are things that you can do by design. You just have to have a lot of patience and a lot of time. And it's not patience like waiting. There are things you need to be doing every single day to earn what Hello Kitty is doing right now. A lot of people look at what Hello Kitty is doing right now with like, you know, like um, Converse and say, oh, we got to be doing that without realizing, well, that's what Hello Kitty is doing now because of what she did from 1974 to 1994. So you should be doing that. You should be doing what she did in the 80s and the 90s so that you can, you know, in a certain amount of time, do what Hello Kitty is constantly doing. It's, it's, that's not something you jump into now. It's like just going to the store and buying a trophy doesn't mean that you trained and got yourself off the couch and now you're a marathon runner. Uh, it's, building a character brand is a very specific. Um, it's a very specific set of events that you can just activate as an individual or as a company. Uh, you don't need VC backing. So I would yeah, I think I think you framed it in a really good way. And for a lot of people, they probably don't even understand uh, the experience that you have yet. So that little ca- character right there, right behind you, has been around for what seventeen years, I believe now, right? Oh yeah. Well, this guy. Well, these are this is the competition shelf, right? This is what this is our. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Is, uh, yeah. Bossy so Bear Bossy Bears. From, seventeen years now, right? Yeah. Two thousand seven was the first book came out, right? So I don't think there's anybody more credible in this space, I guess, to ask this question is like, hey you're talking about these different levels and different things that you have to accomplish in order to get to a point in a brand that lives on evergreen wise, right? What are those steps? Like what was it the first 10 years of launching this new IP that you've built? And how do you think the next 10 years are going to be so much different? Uh, I think that in the beginning, it's really important to be discovered and not to be broadcasting or to be marketing that you're, you, you're there, but mm-hmm. to have people find you on their own. And not just find you on their own, but to find you in physical places that have meaning for them already. So like Ninja Turtles, when that came out, it was a black and white comic book amongst super professional Rob Liefeld color comics, right? And everything was glossy with alternate covers and amazing. And they had this little funny black and white comic. And, you know, people who were going into comic book stores back then, those places were like their stomping ground. So you walk in your favorite comic book store, that place already has meaning for you and you find wow, what is this, right? And it's it's a source of discovery and surprise, right? So uh, like I, I recommended to someone just the other day, like, hey, with your character brand, I want to find you at like museum stores, you know, like go mm-hmm. into like every major museum or every museum, almost every museum has a, has a shop connected to it, right? Like, how do you feel when you walk into the MoMA shop in Soho in New York City? I bet you it's different than how you feel when you walk into Walmart. And he's like, yeah, but what is it? This is an obvious thing you're saying. What are you, what are you telling me? I'm like, no, but really analyze why, why do you feel different when you walk into the MoMA or when you walk into the, the LACMA in Los Angeles, like the shop, right? And the things you find there, you, you already feel a certain way about that place. So the things that you see in there, you're going to understand those things differently than if you had found them just at a Costco or at a, at a, at a Target, right? So try to find places that hold meaning for your potential audience or your customers, I call them tribe members, right? And then be discovered in these places where they already, they already hold these places in high regard. And it's easy enough to find these places, easier than we think. Uh, And then 
and then, you know, your thing actually has to work. I mean, it has to be something that actually does then attract somebody over and get people interested. But if you're, when you're growing a, a character brand, you need to kind of, you're kind of like in the business of getting people to fall in love, you know, and, and, and the number one thing you should do when you're doing that is stay away from marketing of any kind and be a source of discovery above all else, especially in the, in the formative years. That's very well put in a sense. Well, here's the thing, right? So when I, when I take a look at like the web to, I guess, the Hello Kitty, the Pokemon, the Yu-Gi-Oh even, right? And these other, the TMNT that we all grew up, at least for me, grew up watching it. There was no tribe at first, right? Like you don't know who the first thousand members or thousand holders or thousand fans yeah. of yeah. those brands are. I think the the pros and the cons, the blessing and the curse of Web3 is you have, I guess, as a project and as an IP, this obligation that these are your first thousand people and you have to please them and you have to drive value to them. That's right. right. Yeah. So what's kind of your take on that, I guess, scale of events in terms of how IP was built and why it was so much less stress free to build something and grow it in that much time? Versus what you're doing now, because you're essentially raising money right away from day one. And you're saying, hey, these are my tribe and I have to please this tribe before I do anything else. Yes. And, and, it, and it's going to vary depending on the collection. I've given this a lot of thought. There's no super easy answer for everybody. But right. Yeah. There, are, there are some there are some collections where the best thing that they can do for their holders is to thrive. Right. Mm -hmm. um, th there are there are some that are maybe not in the very top three or there are there are some that have been around, but they're not like. So immediately right now, hanging on floor uh, price or, or, or the fight, you know, there, there is that dynamic, but they're not all like, you know, like some of those in the very top 10, it, it gets pretty intense where yeah. a lot of it rides on that, that component. Um, so for those that rely on it less, so I feel like the best thing you can do is, is thrive like those, those holders, because perhaps it's no longer about that part of it. And they need to feel like they're, they're still a part of something that's gonna actually go somewhere. And a lot of these projects do have the potential. They really do. I, I go through them and I, I, my gut feeling says that, 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 the, these, can, these can really go up against, and you don't need to topple Hello Kitty, but just existing in 0.01% of her universe is, is huge, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I do see the potential for so many of them. Now for, some of these other ones that um, are just financially massive and the numbers are big and, and people are like, Hey, I'm five house payments in on you. And you know, there's a, there's a certain type of expectation there uh, that that is far more difficult. And I, I kind of equate that to the difficulty you might have if you had VC backing and you're trying to go up against Hello Kitty, where you literally have to do things that on their own, people are being like, what do you, what are you doing? <laughs> why are you putting these like five plastic things? Why aren't you going to in Walmart? Why aren't you, why are you putting these like little things in these windows in these, you know, design furniture stores? No one's going to see that. What in the world? Like it, it, it just must be when I totally understand, by the way, from the holder's point of view, that if all of a sudden they're activating what I talk about in my Substack, uh, it's almost like they would just have to do it anyway. So like, Take care of your holders, figure that out because you're probably going to have to anyway, regardless. Do whatever it is that that requires. But that on the side, especially in the beginning, you might honestly have to just quietly do this and not even really say anything. 
but it, it is something that you can do. It is something that doesn't cost very much other than time. And um, it's not it's not like doing that would then prevent you from the, the, the financial dynamic that you're going to have to address at some point or, or not be able to address at some point. It's, it's definitely very tricky. It's very tricky that the CC0 component also has been um, fascinating and and also for some like oh wow <laughs> that'll be interesting so yeah it's that's also a wild ride as well yeah i'm actually against like anything cc zero and just like kind of like hey to just take rip and do whatever you want with it because i feel like it dilutes the brand at its core right at least that's my take and i think it's a hot take like board ape is really cool i guess it started because it was like hey, let's try this out it's an experiment but if you think about it like who says let's say Bored Ape wants burgers, or, you know, selling for $5 on the side of the streets of New York. That's like saying, you know, Hello Kitty is going to be, you know, in the small pop-up shop inside your mall where nobody's even walking and they want to sell their product. So it's like, is it really adding value to the person or diluting value from the brand? And that's kind of like a, a very thin line, I think, that a lot of people don't really get. You know, brands are very fragile, like Star Wars, Hello Kitty, um, Pokemon, all brands are ex extremely fragile. You know, you get a lot of, um, especially from our world, on the artist side, you get a lot of artists saying, oh, I was at Comic-Con selling Star Wars t-shirts and the big evil company came, you know, they brought the hammer on me. They're yeah. sending me a cease and desist. And it's like, well, they didn't do that because they're bad and they only care about money. They did that because they are always this close to dying. Mm -hmm. um, Disney, Hello Kitty, or just you with your brand new thing that you're two years in, um, you, you you exist through the power of no, like really, and and so that you can make the right yes because if right like you said like Hello Kitty can trip up a couple times and find her stuff at Zoomies by accident like some rogue umbrella maker puts like dumps you know uh, at, at at a dollar closeout and and they'll be okay because they have spent four decades building but but they'll be okay if that happens a few times but if that you know, if, they, if they're not always in control, it, it, it gets pretty tricky. And it has, it, there have been many up and downs with many of these brands that we think are just A plus, always blue chips out there, you know, from Star Wars to whatever. They have all gone through some serious rough times, even, even recently. And it's fascinating to watch some of them pull out of it and rescue themselves. And, and some are, are not around anymore. Even. So I, I understand the concern about, um, you know, any project that gives away commercial rights because it's technically kind of spinning out of control. I, I like the CC0 component for nouns specifically because it's kind of that is what it is, right? Um, mm -hmm. It's more of a protocol and an experiment that uses that as its primary driving factor. And that, that to me is totally fine, but I wouldn't recommend if there's an artist out there who's like just coming up and hears about this thing and it's like a catchphrase way to get people to notice you, don't. Don't do it. It's not, it's not applicable in 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 the real out out here in the real world. And it's it's once you once you go down that path, it's it's that's it. So I yeah, I wouldn't recommend it for most. It is interesting for some to me. You, you know, the the idea of this there being a decentralized metaverse someday, it does make sense to me that if Ethereum, if the big deal about Ethereum is that it's censorship censorship resistant. You would want to have assets that also are equally as resistant, I suppose. But on the other hand, I mean, exerting your rights is not censorship. So I don't know. I don't know how that gets resolved. But it, yeah, it's been it's been a weird 
an interesting uh, couple of years for sure either way. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to dive deeper into obviously like some of these projects that you're you kind of like to uh, nitpick and choose and kind of talk about their strategy and how they can be better. But before that, I want to talk about ugly dolls. I feel like we haven't really talked enough about it. I'm underexposed myself. So my <laughs> simple question is why ugly dolls? What about it? And what's the future? Just let me hear it. Oh, yeah, sure. So um, 20 years ago, when I met my wife at art school, um, I, I don't know how to draw. So I, I was in the illustration department so for some ridiculous reason. But my whole life goal was to tell stories through consumer products and toys, like like a Hello Kitty or, or you know something like that, right? So I'm in the art class and there's a naked person with fruit and we're supposed to draw it. And my wife is like, you know, the first time I'm next to her and she's got, she's already like five minutes in, it's like a photorealistic, you know, super talented. <laughs> And I, I never knew how to draw. So I just like, whatever you see in our books, I just drew like that, like a monster, same pose, but like, you know. The bootleg version. <laughs> the same the same stuff that I'm, I'm known for drawing even now, I still don't know how to draw. And, um, you know, the teacher, oh, you know, to my wife, the beautiful, oh my goodness. And then, what what are you, what is this? This is, at, this is the definition of ugly, right? <laughs> and, oh, and what's, what is ugly? There is no ugly. That's a marketing term. Ugly means unique and different, right? We, we should it's take art. ugly and, and there is no such thing as beauty. I went into a whole thing and she's like, ah, automatic. It's not going to work. Right. She left. And my wife said, yeah, I really like what you said about the ugly thing. I was like, well, what did I say? Cause I don't remember. I was just bullshit. I don't remember. <laughs> what I, what did I, thought? I don't even remember. I was just kidding. She's like, no, no, that that was pretty cool about how, you know, you shouldn't cover up or try to change the twists and turns that make you who you are, that you should, that if you hide those things, we kind of all suffer, right? We are all each meant to bring out the thing that we're supposed to do. And then as a whole, humanity can maybe push its way forward somehow. So that, that became what we called the ugly verse. And then she took a couple of my doodles and you know, in the press, they always say, oh, she took my drawings and turned them into plush dolls. But that's like saying, um, oh, the, the Eames chair, uh, he made a chair. He decided to make a chair. It's it's not that. I mean, she made like the Eames chair of plush dolls. Like, you know, you show what she made to designers at Mattel and they lose their mind. Right. So she made a few of those by hand and I would drop them off at funky shops like Giant Robot in Los Angeles back 20 years ago when they were uh, huge and they were just coming off of having a magazine of the same name. And every time I would drop those off, they would sell out within just hours. Yeah, they wouldn't last a day. So we'd make a lot more and then find some other interesting shops. Maybe in, in New York, there was a shop called Zaka that was like a design bookstore on Grand Street. And those were gone in one day. So every every place that we, you know, would drop off these the original first ugly dolls, um, they would just disappear. So my wife is like, I, I can't sew these anymore. My hands are changing color. So we need to either make these for real or stop. So we, you know, found a factory in Korea and just, they replicated what she did perfectly. And we just kept this whole theme of finding places that might be meaningful to people, first of all, and then to be found in those places. Like, you know, all those shops where we were 20 years ago, we were right next to like Takashi Murakami plush when Murakami was barely known by really, except for like those few circles of people, right? And so being found in those places, we, there was like an automatic association that we must be in the same sort of universe. So we got pulled into a lot of the same press and we got pulled into like that whole designer toy movement, even though we weren't really 
in the beginning thinking of that, we got wrapped just automatically. Any shop that was selling those things would order from us also. Um, and those were usually really nice shops that had passionate people coming in. So, um, and then, you know, there are more museum stores than there are McDonald's uh, and Starbucks put together. So um, it also means there's way more buyers, but, uh, but it's a lot of work, but you know, it's, it's like going to Walmart, but there's a buyer for every location. So it's like a huge headache, but you, you can do quite well with museum stores and, and not feel like you're overexposed or everywhere. Right. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting, and, and it's a conversation that a lot of people, including myself, sometimes don't really understand because maybe I've just never been to that side of the, the world. Is what is the the magic superpower about Asia? What is what is it about like you know having that Asian community and that Asian IP pop off there? And you know, if you have a community there and a cult there, then you're good. And we've seen that even in Web three, like when we see the Azukis and we see kind of that anime trend start and it, it, they, you hear the rumors you're like hey the asian market's in this right they want to be involved so what is the secret there like what, what why is it so much different than what people like here there well uh, korea was as soon as we entered the korean market it became our number two after the u.s and it's always been like that and then wow. japan was number three so on one hand it's i mean well especially in japan there you have the primary driver of most revenue in character in the character business and the character business is, when I say that, I mean like the lifestyle character business, like Miffy, My Melody, Hello Kitty, um, you know, Rila Kuma, Gloomy Bear, not, and, and actually fun, funny, we think of Pokemon as coming from gaming, but a majority of their revenues come from like ceramic cups and plates and, and housewares. Wow. Like it's a massively so, it's not even close. Like the gaming revenues are like this. And then the rest of my screen is like towels, <laughs> and things for your house, right? So, uh, which you don't really think of it until you walk into the Pokemon Center in Yokohama and you go, oh, the, the consumer for this stuff is not what I, who I thought it was, right? Th these are, um, you know, primarily women in their 40s, like who are just out, coming out of an office, like, like they work professionally somewhere. And then they, after work, they come through these places and, and, they absorb a, a majority of it. It's not kids with Game Boys in line, unless you go to the one in New York, then it's, I would say it's mostly, it's mostly, but th there's that component. And then I, I always see it like, especially Japan is kind of like the great white space. If you want to launch a character based IP, anything it, it, to those who don't know Japan, the, you know, you always hear how crowded the Japanese market is. There's characters everywhere. They're on the bank has a character and, you know, the, the, everything has a character on it but because of that's true it's it's those are not even seen anymore it's like marketing right how like when you walk through times square you don't really pay attention to all the mm. you know it's just you just especially if you live there you just don't even notice it anymore right but then there are points of retail where then they're so heavily curated that you definitely notice what's there right and then that's how the character business thrives and it's it's so very not difficult to enter. And you can, you can actually have great impact in New York and LA by entering certain retail places in Japan and in South Korea and in, and in Taiwan, in Taipei, right? And then you can have huge impact in Hong Kong if you enter certain components of retail in Korea. So there's like a weird system where certain things tug on corners, you know, way over here. Uh, and it's, it's a fascinating system that once you understand the rhythm of it, 
it's it's something you can just keep applying and like oh let's try this guy okay they don't like that guy but let's try this oh this took off let's let's put everything into that and let's start another one right and but yeah i wanted to have a show i the, i knew the ugly doll movie was not going to do well like two years before it came out i was like this this is not going to work so we knew we had to take get bossy bear onto the air and it had to be done by like gr a great studio you know and and like mm -hmm. it's really good and just it had to be good otherwise we're toast right that other that that would be the last thing and and some people love the ugly law movie and thank you for you know, everything but we just had a gut feeling that this was not going to go exactly the way we thought so we made these little like unpainted uh bossy bear things at our factory in japan brought them over to these shows in uh taipei where we've had stuff in cafes for the last like 20 years like if you go into a little cafe and uh, Taipei, you look up on the stack of like board games, you'll find an old ratty card game that we've had there for like 20 years. And there were, wow. Every neighborhood they're there, right? So we brought these guys to like the Taipei Toy Festival, things that when you hear this now, you think, I don't know, I've never heard of that before, right? But imagine the, the crowd of the San Diego Comic-Con, but there to just see 10 people. Mm -hmm. It's literally the same number of people, but just to see these 10 or 12 creators. And, and then the lines that wrap around, it's insane. So we knew, all right, we need Ron Howard to make the Bossy Bear show. So how do we do that? By doing this thing here in Taipei so that it can bounce off of this thing in Hong Kong. And then right away, you can have things activated in Los Angeles and New York. Uh, it takes 16 months to do that because of all the groundwork that we've been doing, right? That we knew that we could do that. And then I can walk in there and say a certain thing and then it, it kind of like increases the knock on wood, increases the likelihood of being able to get a project going. And, and sure enough, you know, so far. Here we so, are. Yeah. Once it gets on the airwaves, now I, I'm not responsible. The show is, I love the show, but uh, if everyone hates it, that's their, that's good. <laughs> Whatever. Let me ask you this. Over, over the years of your experience in rolling out into these different markets, have you realized any type of patterns or I guess hacks where it's like, I don't know, it could be something as like, maybe these colors work really well in Asia, but people hate it here, or these specific emotions, right? Because you talk a lot about like, characters have to build emotions or at least pull you through emotion and, and discoverability, right? So have you guys noticed any kind of differences that you know, okay, this is gonna work in Asia and here's why versus this isn't? I think it's more the, um, like once we, once we find a character that seems to work that, you know, cause, cause sometimes we'll, we'll put certain characters into this, this routine of ours and it just, it just will fall flat. And then it is what it is. Right. Um, and, and that there are no real tricks or hacks. I, I think those are easily detected. So it, hmm. I think the, 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 the more you kind of come from a real place. And I, I tried to give an example of that today on our Substack um, about these weird little rubber figures that we made um, that were based on an old favorite of kids from Japan that grew up in the eighties. Right. Mm -hmm. So it appealed to something from their childhood. And because we did that, it kind of added a layer of glow to us that then we could go into that market in other ways. And now there was a little bit more meaning than just it being a trick or, or you know, something that we're just applying through something that we think we know, which is tricky because I'm kind of explaining a system that feels like it's a like, oh, do this. And then this happens. Right. But it. It happens because we've noticed that that's how it happens, but not not because it's a trick, but because there is this wonderful system that exists already that we've just identified and and have learned to kind of go with the flow within, right? So there 
there are though there are certain things that definitely work in the U.S. that don't like like the Pokemon ceramic. Um, you know, like this, like here, here's the Zara um, uh, collaboration with Disney that just came out, right? My wife went absolutely bonkers for it, right? We now have like half of our mugs are these. Uh, but, but I don't know. I don't know if that would work elsewhere. You know, like there are certain, like half of the stuff that Pokemon actually, like where their revenues come from, I bet you half of that would not really work in those same numbers in the US, right? And then, and vice versa. I, I think that there's a lot of toyetic, and perhaps younger, like things might skew younger if you go to like the New York Pokemon Center and there's a lot of kids. And and instead of plush dolls that are a little higher end and more like totems of the brand, they're, they're stuffed animals to, to like handle and, and, you know, the lower price point. And, and that, that works here in, in the U.S. where I think in, in, in Japan and the surrounding territories, you have to more take a, like a Snoopy Peanuts approach which is, it's, it's lifestyle. You know, these are things that are a part of you that you identify with, right? They are, they are you like, oh, this is so me. Like that, that means a lot, right? Um, and, and it's mostly adults. There's kids, kids in like in Japan, they're into um, what we call Power Ranger, you know, and like Anpanman and the things that are like media driven. Mm. They're characters, but they're not really in the character business. Those are like story driven things, like how we have SpongeBob. But um, yeah, like Peanuts and Miffy, uh, Moomin, uh, Rila Kuma, these things are, are massive just and, and mostly interacted with by adults. Yeah. And that's another thing I think, right, is in the NFT space, it's like uh, it feels like a lot of these characters are meant for children, but they're only interacted with with adults at this point of time. Yeah. So, so it's like adding another layer of comp complexity is like hey you have this i don't know let's say like this cute little pudgy penguin that's really supposed to attract all these kids sure. but in reality it's all adults who let's say need a shine of positivity or just are very attached to it so what's your take on obviously uh, you know that realm of what we're doing here in web3 i think if i if i had a character and i wanted to go straight to kids and i wanted to go straight to target like from day one mm -hmm. that i i would approach it like yeah, like I don't, I don't. Let's say I have a, a NFT collection, right? And let's say I don't have that sort of immediacy pressure on me about the price action, but that yeah. you know I've done well, and I I have the, this collection, and I have an established fan base, and I would like to thrive and to show them that this is going to go somewhere. Um, mm -hmm. Instead of taking the ten or twenty years to build something that then can go up against a Hello Kitty, you could uh, make a toy brand, something that's literally a toy, like. Um, you, I don't know if you're familiar, but there's a toy called LOL Surprise by MGA. It's by the company that did Bratz, which was like the big competitor for Barbie 20 okay. years ago. Um, it's just one example of thousands of different toys, right? That they appear out of nowhere. They go straight to Walmart and Target. Um, the, if they do well, they, they make billions in some cases, right? And then they all have like t-shirts and they, they kind of feel like brands. They're like brand adjacent, right? And you can get there through a combination of play patterns and design. That That's all toys really are. Whereas Hello Kitty and all those, that character business doesn't deal in play patterns at all whatsoever. It's, it's, it's more literally the acts of people, getting people to fall in love with what your thing is to, and it, for it to become meaningful in their lives. They make an emotional connection. Something like um, if you're going to make the competitor for 
you know, what's a boy's one? You know, I mean, so, so much, so many of the boys toys are media driven that it's hard to even come up with something out of nowhere that, you know, or, or like game driven. Whereas in the girls character area in the toy aisle, you have so many properties that don't come from media. They just appear. And then later they'll get a show because just half the country knows about it. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, for me growing up, it was always like Lion King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, sure. right. The Pokemon, uh, and there's obviously the sports, which is all, I guess all, a lot of these just fall, would you say under like lifestyle or storytelling well, or like, yeah, there's, there's lifestyle and story driven. So any, anything like, you know, SpongeBob, um, Ninja Turtles, th those are all story, story driven, right. That there was some sort of storytelling component first, even mm -hmm. though I think like, you know, sort of rare ch uh, case, like He-Man was a toy briefly mm -hmm. first and then, and then they kind of followed up with the show. But once the show hit, that's when it, you know. The, going the show route and story-driven route is is interesting because on, on one hand, it's like all this time and uh, investment financially in something that you have no idea how it will be, you know, until it's like years out. Uh, we started the Bossy Bear TV show years ago uh, and, and it's just now ready, right? So, and, and that's, and everything went perfectly well. There was no development hell or any delays or anything. It just, that takes forever. Like whether you're developing a game, um, uh, I, I always recommend it, do it like a book first. If you can do, if you're doing something like, I don't want to name an existing, I can't name existing collections because I just, I just can't. But let's say you have wizard, uh, you know, wizard owls and, and you, you want it to be a story driven thing. If you start it as a book series, Right, you can have just as much success uh, with the children's book series as you can with a TV show. The risks and the likelihood of it hitting is about the same, but you can just be one guy doing it. There's no overhead. There's no real cost other than can you put those images on paper? Can you write the words? Can you find a great publisher to get it out for you? And then can you do the legwork that gets you from just bookstores to being on the shelf at Target or Walmart? It's difficult. But so is getting a hit show or getting any show actually to be on the air is like, it's like a miracle. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, the good thing about starting with a book, though, I was going to say is that you kind of get to hold on to rights like crazy. So mm -hmm. even if you have no funding and you can't co-produce your show, uh, if you have a book, um, it's so much it's so much easier to then use that as a negotiating factor when you're going then to a, a major network or to a, a, a movie studio. Right. It really is. It makes a massive difference. So I, I've recommended to many to start with books if they're interested in the story. You know, Ninja Turtles did the same thing, right? Comic, yeah. but similar. I, and I want to put you under the spotlight here. So, you know, let's take two real life projects that we have right now that are similar in a sense, but also very different in their mission and what they want to do. Right. So Doodles, for example right? Which is kind of building towards this lifestyle, media, entertainment brand. Sure. That's not forcing their character, but kind of, in a sense, going back to the idea of like, it's allowing their character to be discovered, right? And then you have, let's say like Pudgy Penguins, which is like kind of the complete opposite, which is like, hey, toys, books, social media, and, you know, like enforcing this character in terms of like, it's everywhere. You're going to see it everywhere. So if you were to take one or the other approach, right, which one would you rather for an IP in this modern day and age? Uh, and then which one do you think has like a proper chance in actually making it out of this Web3 IP world that we're all fighting for? Sure, of course. Uh, 
I, I won't say which one has a better chance. I think I, I think I technically can't. I think as if if a property is technical, like any any character based IP is technically a competitor, and I do believe that if they got angry enough at me, they could. Uh... <laughs> but but I, I will say that both have a tremendous likelihood of success. I think it depends on you know the the million different variables and 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 the. Like I, I've spoken with Luca briefly once, you know, behind Pudgy Penguins, and and sometimes it's really just the the drive behind the founder can sometimes be enough because even though there are certain market dynamics that are very real, um, mm -hmm. you can kind of also make your own in some cases, right? So I think there, I think that 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 is a scenario where you know I recommend it if you're gonna if you're gonna you know for anyone who wants to go mass and go big soon, right? that you have some sort of like i would say well i i even advise other brands that are not web3 based but it would be the same advice uh for you to go to target or walmart in general uh other than outlier cases the the person shopping there a certain percentage of the person shopping there has to already be madly in love with you because if you don't do that and when they find your thing like if i have blue bat you know plush thing right and it's based on my blue bat collection. And I, I put my blue bats into Target. If they don't already understand it already, if they're not already in love with it when they walk into Target and they go, oh my God, blue bat. If that's not the reaction, they're understanding you as just a stuffed animal. Because at Target, there are random stuffed animals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All kinds, right? And Target makes them. They rotate yeah. out all the time. And people love those and they buy them, but at no time do they understand them as brands. Never. Just, mm -hmm. it just doesn't happen. Now you could be the first to pull that off where you just show up and, and the target shopper goes crazy. You absolutely could. That's what toy companies do all the time, but it's done through literally through play patterns and, and design those combinations. So if you're going to go at least have a little bit of that, some, some things so that there is a play pattern. Uh, if you're going after the adult collector though, and there's no immediate recognition factor of some kind to a large percentage of their their shopper um i mean if the buyer lets you in that's on them kind of like they're they're all trained to know you know how it works and the likelihood of something working just randomly out of nowhere you know i i've done many videos on this subject where i'll go to target and i'll pull up like hey here's a cool t-shirt here at target like if you if this was your character you'd be like this is huge but but this is just a cute cloud character. This is not on TV. It's not Mickey Mouse. Here's a Mickey shirt. You know right away who it is. Yeah. This cloud guy is cool, but it's just a shirt design to, to everybody. It's not like, oh my God, cloud guy. I know. I know. Yeah. So it's like, I'm just putting this on. I, I got it for my kid. And now he's got a truck one <laughs> the next time. You know, it doesn't, it, it's, and you're not going to be going back to Target. Where, where's cloud guy? You don't, you don't miss it. It's gone. Yeah. It's just out of your mind. So, you have to be very careful when you're going big in that way. I mean, going big in any way in this, in this field in the beginning is like, oh man, I hope that's what you want to happen. Like it's okay because, but you won't be here in, in four to seven years either. So it's, it's very tricky. And then for the um, doodles. So I think Pudgy Penguins, they're going to figure out their dynamic. He, he's a smart guy and he's, he's well aware of the dynamics of mass market, mid tier specialty. He, he knows. So I have no, no doubt that, that Luca will figure it out. Uh, for Doodles, I don't really know anyone there. Personally, I've had some great chats more recently with, uh, with some of them on Twitter. I think they have something very special. I think it's up to them if they want to be 
story driven. I heard that they bought a, they acquired a studio. Yeah. Yeah. So that's great. Uh, I have no idea if that's to actually tell episodic stories or to supplement something that is lifestyle. No clue, but they seem to have some sort of plan in mind. So, um, and which is a, a good sign and more rare than you might think. So I, I think that both are showing that they actually, they at least have some sort of plan of their own or that they're activating and not just jumping from one, yay, we got a you know, Louis Vuitton thing. And oh, now it's uh, this this sneaker. Uh, I, I worry about those the most you know, usually. For, for somebody who admires, I guess, the character IPs that we have in the world, and obviously it's obvious from your screen here that, you know, you're, there's yours and then there's the ones you admire and you compete with. Is, do you see any or what NFT projects right now and characters coming out of Web3? Are you like, I want to keep an eye on this one and this is something I'm going to keep close to me because I admire what, what is going on there and I, and I want to be a part of it in some shape, way, or form? Yeah, a, a lot of those that have come through the the top 10 at some point, um, I've definitely thought, oh, that that could be great. I was on a Fang Gang podcast, uh, or not podcast, the Twitter spaces just yesterday. And, you know, uh, a combination of their design and then the passion behind the founders and their desire to understand how, you know, to implement something like this. Um, I, I could easily see them some doing something. And that, that, that has nothing to do with market dynamics in, in Web3 or whether they you know, are, are at the top 10. Uh, there, there are some in the bottom 20, like if you scroll all the way down that they have really adorable designs. They have no activity. You know, they have 80 collectors and the floor has got a lot of zeros before you get to the first number, but, but they're living in the middle of the epicenter of like maybe a specific neighborhood in Seoul where then they can easily fly to these shows, right? Like a lot of these web three kids that I know, like Duckhead, Duckhead doesn't have a floor price. The Duckhead has a giant table at the uh, the Thailand Toy Festival, not the Taipei Toy Festival, but the one in Thailand they just did. And when he set up there this year, tons of other creators and fans were coming over and they were in Web3. And they had nouns glasses on and they had all mm-hmm. this like, other, like cool cats. And so they found like, oh my, oh my God, you're, you know. And so while he's there at the very bottom, you know, in the, in the on the charts, I don't know if that's really going to matter if he knows to implement now, you know, if he runs with it a certain way, he could end up, I mean, he could end up being what we call a blue chip, you know, in, in 10 years, maybe, maybe it would never translate on the charts. I've never been able to get like in March 21, my stuff would be on the top 10 on OpenSea for about 20 minutes after I had like a, a set, you know, sales yeah. it would immediately go to like that. You could do that back then because there was only a thousand, a thousand projects. Right. But I don't even scratch the surface. I don't know. I think the cards that we did would sometimes be in the top 10 for like half a day, right? But uh, so I'm nowhere near, I'm more with them in the, in, the, in, the, in the bottom when it comes to Web3 activity, right? But I have a, I have a book here that, that I have coming out that I could uh, throw that guy into my system. And, and if it's well-received, in in our in the character world, um, you know, potentially, I think I could get it to a certain point where if Web three really is going to see mass adoption at some point, um, maybe it is a good thing to kind of get your IP into the Web two scenario, so that if this really does tip someday, and you've got twenty percent of the world and ten percent of kids and thirty percent of adults who are into character culture, 
now interested in, in Web3, those, those top 10 who didn't activate out here might find it a little more challenging if this really goes all the way where the world is into it. So yeah. I, I still recommend everybody you know, who wants to be in it out here to give it their best. For the small portion of the business you do have in Web3, right, compared to the total overall hierarchy of your brands, do you feel like any type of pressure is like, hey, like, you know, I need to have this price go up or it should go up because everybody loves my product in this world, so they should love it here, but they're not? Sure. I, I, I don't get pressure from them, but I feel a weird mixture of gratitude and not obligation, but like, I want, I want the, the, you know, they, they, and, and I would, I actually, I made it a point to put it out there since the beginning. I would say, Hey, this is like you walking into a gallery and you're like, I, I like this one. I'm going to take it home and, and it's going to do what those do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, it's going to sit on your shelf and just be there because you like it. Yeah. I, I've done my best to, to try to make that clear. Uh, just because that's, that's what I really always dreamed of being able to do was to offer digital art, you know, while, while working on our stuff out there to also be able to offer artwork to those who might want it, if there's anyone at all and, and, and to be able to collect it. And I kind of assumed like, well, these guys seem like they're having a lot of good luck trading. And then, you know, maybe with a certain portion of their their winnings or whatever you know like their bags or however you frame it they might be buying into a couple pieces of mine that they don't expect to really do anything but it's okay because they're they're killing it on but but then as things kind of you know changed and the market changed and then it's like well yeah that you know i i, I do feel like point it comes. <laughs> I, I i but um I feel like the best thing I can do is just to focus on what I always do, right? And that somehow, if this entire Web3 world really does reach a much wider number of people, that I've got a body of work that exists historically since a certain time period that, and I, I don't seem, I, like I've told them, like 90% of everything that I've minted has been minted already. Like just based on like how much time I have and how old I'm getting. I think that's it. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's a finite collection that if if I do the best I can out here, and then this world really does expand to say twenty percent of people, you know, just in general, outside of the current, you know, like at Web 3s height in 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 whatever November twenty one or whatever was the peak, you know, if if it goes a thousand times more than that, that perhaps the artwork that that I've done, you know because it's connected to a lot of the things that were just growing out in the real world that perhaps it will bring, you know, some either value or at least more enjoyment for, for someone who's been all in with us, which we are of course very grateful for. Absolutely. And uh, to wrap this up, I guess a little bit of a left field question here, which one do you think makes a better positive impact on not only IP, but I guess in the world overall AI or crypto? Oh, wow. Well, the, the AI thing is very interesting. I, I won't go into a long rant about it, but uh, none of my friends agree with, like, I, I keep telling everyone, like, you, you know, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm more worried about, like, the text-based and, like, for the AI artwork, I feel like, you know, 
everything gets down to money. And I feel like that's just going to be used to design like all the Walmart break rooms. Like, you know, and they're like, what, what are you talking about, man? There's these like, they can paint anything. Like we're all screwed, right? It's like, uh, yeah, maybe, but like, uh, we'll-, well, let me just say this, the text to image AI that's already out there today yeah. is so mind blowing that I don't even know how it's going to look like two or three years from now. Yeah. It's insane. I mean, like the saying is wrong. Like, there is no way for me to be right about what's coming because it's just too yeah. absolutely insane. Uh, but but you're saying to do better in the in the world. Um, I I think that crypto art is wonderful for someone who really who's a fine artist, who's a digital artist, who always wanted to make an original, if you know, available to someone. And it's so that is so far from what most. Mm -hmm. of thinking about you know and 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 the the price action and like i got a huge kick man i was just sitting there in the nakamigo's room and, and listening to everybody and, <laughs> and now, now now it's like pepe coin it's not even an nft yeah. thing. i don't know what but I, I get such a huge kick at it i'm not even any of that right i'm just like that's that, that's a, that's a, that's enjoyment right there it's entertaining right it's hilarious yeah. but but for for having impact in the world uh man we'll see I think if AI doesn't completely wipe us out, then perhaps it'll be the best thing that ever happened to us. I'll say that. <laughs> that's a good take. Yeah, that's a really good take. I'm excited to see what happens as well. You know, my, the biggest thing, at least for me, is the way I look at it now is I think similar to NFTs and crypto and why sometimes deep inside me, I'm like, this might not make it as quick as people think it is because I feel like we've done so much progress. Maybe like the first 90% of, let's say, this game has already been done. But the next 10% is actually the 10% that's going to take a century or a decade to do. And that's how I kind of look at it, at least in the long way. But who knows? Maybe I could be wrong. But besides that, yeah. But yeah, David, thank you so much for hopping on. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Um, honestly, I could probably do this for another 10 hours. <laughs> I do want to respect the time. Here. I wouldn't do that too. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really appreciate you hopping on. I'm looking forward to uh, obviously connecting some more.